come to find out she was a nanny. She, so she's taking care of the, the kid. And so um, I was like, I know a lot of nannies in the church that I go to. And so pretty much opened up the door for me to share with her that I'm a Christian, share my faith with her and all that stuff. And so she comes to uh, say, well, you know, I'm a Muslim. Um, I study, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, so basically there's some disagreement, obviously. But it, it was civil. So we had those conversations why I believe Jesus is God and he's the savior of the world. And it was, you know, it was a good conversation. You could tell she was receiving it. And so out of nowhere, she just starts to open up about her personal life. She, I mean, she shared some personal stuff that I was kind of surprised about. One of the things was that she was in an abusive relationship. She was 20 years old. She was in an abusive relationship. And so it kind of broke my heart. So I just started sharing with her the love of God. I just started sharing with her how much Jesus loves her and how precious she is and valuable she is to, uh, to him. And so, you know, you could tell she was really receiving it, really emotional. And so she's like, well, can you just keep me in your prayers? Uh, maybe your prayers will work for me. So I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to pray for you right now. So we started to pray right there in the playground. Um, you could tell, you know, God was moving. And so I invited her to church. I prayed for her, kept encouraging her. And so, uh, you know, I'm just glad that God, you know, opened up that door, gave me the opportunity to plant that seed. And the verse that comes to mind is uh, preach in Tim, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2. It says, uh, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Obviously, it wasn't uh, the most favorable moment. Uh, it was actually kind of inconvenient. I wasn't there to evangelize because I had my two boys. One of them was starting to act up. But, <laughs> you know, but God, you know, opened up that door, made it possible for me to still preach the word. And so it comes to mind we need to be ready at all times in any situation that you're in to, to share the love of God with people. Amen. So, uh, so it's hopefully, God, that seed is planted in her and God will uh, flourish it. Amen. So let's just pray right now. Father, I just thank you for, for the gospel, God. Thank you for the good news, Lord. And I just pray that you'll continue to prepare each and every person here to be ready to preach your gospel, to preach your love in any and all situation, no matter where we're at, God, that, Lord, we will be a light unto this world, God. We will be the salt of the earth, oh, God. Use us in Jesus' name. We pray for this young lady, God, that, Lord, you would touch her heart. You would set her free from that relationship. And, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to her as Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. worship him this morning. So I just want to encourage you guys to just get out of your shell today to just take these, these lyrics to heart that it wouldn't just be words on a screen that you're repeating, but you would think about them as you sing them and that they would touch a deep part of you today. We're going to sing that he is higher than the mountains that I face and he is stronger than the power of the grave. Your love. 
Power of 
thankful today that your love it never fails and it never gives up and it never runs out oh God you never run out of love for me you never run out of love for your people God how awesome is it that we can sing a song to you that is so true and perfect that your love never fails Oh, people fail us, people let us down, people have hurt us, people have broken us, God, but you never fail. And you never give up. You are always calling your daughters and sons back to a better life, to a true life, to a whole life. When this world seems to want to do everything it can to break us, you always restore and you never give up. You always give us another chance to get it right. Never run out of enough, God. And I thank you, God. Hallelujah. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are, I wanna sing that again, you're the God. You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You're the light, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are, and there is no one, there is no one like our
you are the Lord of this nation. In spite of what people think, he's still Lord over all. He is still on the throne. He is still ruling and reigning. And though we may try to forget that, the truth is that he is the king of all. He puts leaders in place that he wants them to be. He is sovereign. Oh God, you are the God of the city.
pray that you would come in. And Holy Spirit, that you would just fill this place, Lord. And that we would understand that when we get overwhelmed, Lord, that you are there. Oh, Lord. And that you came down, God, when we were so lost and broken and that you came to rescue us from ourselves. You came to rescue us from what sin has done and how it stole us away from you. How that brokenness just broke your heart in two, God, and all you wanted was a relationship with us. Even though we didn't deserve you, God, you still deserve us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget that love came down and rescued me. And if it weren't for you, I'd still be in bondage to all the things that enslaved me once before. Because love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. And I am yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I am yours. I am forever yours. I want to sing that again. Love came down. Cause love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. And I am yours. Our praise, yours. I am forever yours. 
In Jesus' name, when everybody said, amen and amen, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is awesome in power. You may be seated at this time. Let's remain in the attitude of worship. The ushers are going to pass out the elements for communion at this time. And as they do that, I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning. For those that don't know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The reason why we like to preach the gospel before we take communion is because we want everybody to have the opportunity to get their heart right with God. Communion is an ordinance that we practice the first Sunday of every month because scripture tells us to take communion to remember what the Lord did for us. And for those that don't know, Jesus came to set you free by dying on the cross. We have to receive that because it is by grace you have been saved. And it is a gift. And that's why it needs to be received. See, a lot of people sometimes feel like they come to church, they hear a message like this, and they feel like before they can push closer to God, they feel like they, before they can really get committed, they have to go back out and fix stuff. They have to go get rid of this out of their house. they got to change this part of their attitude. They have to stop doing this bad thing that keeps them away from God. But you're not understanding. You cannot save yourself. It is by grace you have been saved by your faith. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, you believe that he came to set you free, you receive him into your heart, you follow his commands, you are saved by faith through grace. It is a gift. And too many people reject the gift of salvation. We reject God. We reject Jesus as the only way. And that leads to death. But I'm here to remind you this morning that the Bible is good news. That the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, he holds the stars in his hands. He holds your life in his hands. He came to make a way for you. And before we partake of communion together as a church, I want us to spend a couple seconds here. Before I pray for those to get right with God, make sure your heart is right with the Lord. That you are receiving this gift of salvation. You cannot do anything to earn it. Just take it. And he will give you the grace and the power to live for him. Amen. For those that are not right with God, you have not been born again. This message is for you this morning. The Bible tells us that today is a day for salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. We have to be right with God today. With every eye, with every eye closed all across this place, let's focus our attention on the Lord right now. Jesus, I pray for every single person in this room that's not right with you. I pray that today will be their day of salvation. Today will be their spiritual birthday. They will not try to go and fix stuff, fix themselves, fix their attitude, fix their family, fix their marriage, fix their kids. That they will receive your gift today. And they will trust you to do the fixing, to do the renovation. God, you make all things new. We thank you for your saving grace. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Please stand with me to your feet this morning. Let's begin to partake of this together as I read this scripture verse. 
Brother, can you open this for me as I preach this verse? Thank you. We're going to read it in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to partake of communion together as a family. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Thank you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to partake of this wafer together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your body that was beaten and bruised for us. We remember you, Jesus. We remember your great sacrifice for us. We thank you for redeeming us, for transforming us, for saving us. We thank you for your body that was broken for us in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the wafer together. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, God. We lift up this grape juice that represents your blood. We thank you for your blood that covers our sins, our sicknesses, and our sorrows. It is by the mighty blood of Jesus that we are saved, that we are in right standing with you. We thank you, oh God, that you took our place. In Jesus' mighty name, we couldn't do it by our own works. But we are covered by your blood, Jesus, and we thank you. Let's partake of the grape juice together. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. As the band leads us in song, and the ushers come to discard the elements. Let's lift up our hands all across this room. We're going to think about the one who came to save us. The one whose blood covers us. Oh, the mighty power in the blood of Jesus. There's nothing like it. Jesus, no one compares to you.
During the fellowship time, I want to encourage those that made the decision to get right with God. You gave your heart to Jesus during that prayer time. You want to be born again. You want to commit your life to Christ. These prayer workers right here, Ashley and Pastor Tony, will pray with you. And they're going to let you know how to get plugged in to be disciples. Amen? Let's recite our confession of faith this, faith this morning. This is our Christian worldview. We recite this as a church every single week because this is what we believe. This is the lens in which we see our world today. In a world gone sour, in a world that is so God-hating, we will uphold the truths and the values of Scripture until He comes back. On the count of three, let's recite this together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and His death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Spend some time fellowshipping. Greet somebody. Give somebody a hug this morning, this afternoon. As distant hearts begin believing, redemption's bid is unrelenting. Your love goes on. Your love goes on. morning come on make some noise you guys should be the loudest the most awake it's one o'clock 
almost two. It's good to have everybody here at Metro Praise International. We welcome you on behalf of the staff, all the leaders. We thank you for joining us this morning for church. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate every week at 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. They are rocking it out for Jesus. Come on by if you're in that age group or if you know anybody in that age group, invite them to come. We have some exciting news coming up at the end of the month. We are having a baptism and barbecue service. Come on. August 30th on Sunday, 10 a.m. at 1 p.m. Both services will be having the baptisms and barbecues for those that have come to the Lord that have been newly discipled and never been baptized or you have been baptized, I need to redo it again for your commitment to God. We will be having that. So we're really looking forward to all that God is going to do on that Sunday. Invite your friends and your family. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time. We also want to let you guys know that we have Spanish translation available for you. So if you have any friends or family that you'd like to invite and they only speak Spanish, don't let them hold them, don't let that hold them back because we have that translation available to you know, so they could hear the service. And so it's an awesome thing that we just started. Oh, and if you have any questions about that, you can see Pastor Tony. Uh, we're just really excited about all that God is doing in that ministry. We also have t-shirts for you. So we've been a little low on some of the sizes. So we have so many sizes now and all the shapes and colors and styles and anything that you want. If you need a t-shirt, please see me after service. We could get you one in the back. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God, loving people. Let's say it together. Loving God and loving people. Our discipleship strategy has three steps. It's connect, mentor, and send. First, we want to connect you to the church, connect you to Jesus through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. In the back of your handout is our life group schedule. Please turn it around. Take a look at it. Find the place to belong. We want to meet your needs and the needs of your family. We have so many different kinds of life groups available for you, different days and times and types of life groups. Find one and get connected, okay? Let's uh, look at the snapshot of what's happening just this week. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old. Come on, give it up for them. 6 p.m. meeting at the church. Wednesday, we have the Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. meeting here as well. Wednesday, every week, King's Kids, Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club, infants who are 11 years old, 6.30 meet here. Parents drop them off, have a night of rest, relaxation, time to do stuff. It's an awesome, powerful time for our children. And then every week on Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies that are happening. One is at the Govea's house, and the other one is at the Walker's house. 18 years and up at 7 p.m. Child care is included at those Bible studies. We want you guys to be a part of those life groups, okay? If you are in that age group, every adult has got to be there. You want to get connected through there. You'll get closer to the Lord, closer to friends. You want to build friendships that are going to last in the church, and that's where your lifeline is going to be for the most part. Then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We want to take you through our 101 book with Leader. Welcome to your new life. A leader is ready to take you through this and help you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. When you graduate the 101, you're going to get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. This is where we equip you and teach you and help you to be a leader in the church, in your workplace, wherever you are. Every believer should be a leader. Come on. Then we want to send you out to keep winning souls for the Lord. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, you want to be a part of that, say amen. Because I know I want to be a part of it. Come on. Whoop, whoop. Who's excited to learn about stewardship? We are in the Disciples Giving book. Section 3 is all about stewardship. I know I've been saying it every week now. This is my favorite part because it's so awesome that God allows us to uh, be entrusted with his 
gifts, with his possessions, and he calls us to be good managers. So you're going to look up at the screen. You can follow along there. We're in section three again of stewardship, lesson three today. Stewards work hard at whatever they do. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 are the verses that we're going to be reading. Quickly, I want to let you know the definition of stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. How many of you guys know that if you're entrusted with something, you need to be proven faithful? So like if a parent is going to entrust their child with something at the house or some type of a chore or some type of a possession like that, like an iPad, if they keep throwing it on the floor or they keep getting lost, how many of you guys know they're not proving themselves to be responsible with that material possession? God wants us to be faithful stewards of everything that he's given us in our lives. Let's read in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here are the three main points. Number one, whatever you do. Stewards of Christ are not just hard workers in spiritual things, but in whatever they do. We should work overtime with our families, jobs, communities, friends, and church. People around us should say we are the hardest working and most passionate people they know. And that is because we have Christ dwelling inside of us. Everything that we do is to give him glory in our workplace, our marriage, our family. We want to do everything that's going to honor God. Amen. That's where success comes in. Success comes when we do it to glorify the Lord. Number two, working hard for the Lord. In everything we do, we should ask the question, is God pleased with my work? Ultimately, God is our judge, and he will reward us when we do things with all of our heart. No shortcuts, no compromises. Look to your neighbor, say no shortcuts. Look to your other neighbor, say do it in excellence. Number three, receiving an inheritance. Your job might be able to help you with your retirement savings account when you work hard, but only God can give you an everlasting inheritance in his eternal kingdom. So don't just focus on today's benefit of hard work, but on God's rewards. We have to be eternally minded, kingdom focused, because everything that we do is storing for ourselves treasures there. So we do want to be responsible for our life and future here, but the ultimate goal is what it's going to be like for all of eternity. Here's a summary. Serve Christ by working hard with all of your heart in all that you do. Let's apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, work hard and be passionate about the things that you do in life. And three, if you should stumble, be quick to repent and return to the worth ec work ethic of heaven. I messed it up in the first service. Work ethic of heaven. That is awesome. Let's confess this on, a, on the count of three together. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Please stand with me onto your feet this morning as we prepare to give God our best our tithes and our offerings. Again, here at Metro Praise, we believe that a tithe is a 10% of your total income and an offering is anything above that, which we designate towards missions or building. I want to give a quick reminder on the envelope. Please be very specific about the amounts that you want to go into each category. It's made very simply there in the envelope. Just put the amount that you want to go in each one, especially if you're giving one check of the total amount. Break it down in the categories. 
Right now, we're in a building fund to raise monies for our Metro Praise International Church lit up sign to go across the building. Thank you for partnering with us to make that happen. We're getting closer to the goal than we think, and it'll probably happen sooner than we think. So it's going to be an awesome time, especially with the fall and the winter coming. No more sunlight. It's going to be nice to just shine for Jesus out there. Show off Metro Praise. Come on. We have two convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church with your credit or debit cards. One is online with our easy-to-use website, and two is in the back with me. If you have any questions about giving or purchasing items, you can see me after service. Let's recite this together. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being generous to us, for your mercy, your goodness. You're so faithful, God, and I just pray that you bless the gift and the giver this morning. I pray that you would multiply the tithe and the offering and all that we do for your kingdom in this city and across the world, God. I pray that your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. Use us to be mighty warriors for you, God, that we will bring souls into the kingdom to be generous givers, God, in doing everything that we do, whatever we do, to give glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning, and thank you so much for your generosity. Amen. How many love grace? Let me hear you say grace. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Good to see everybody here. Got to give some high fives out. Come on. Good to see you guys. What's going on? Second service peeps holding it down. Man, I know it's hot in here, but I promised you guys two new fans. There they are right there. And uh, it's still hot. So what we are going to do is we are going to put six ceiling fans in here. But the, the time it's probably done, going to be done by, it's going to be winter. <laughs> no, I'm talking to the person right now from the first service, uh, Bertha's dad, if you know him. So we're going to purchase them, but it may take a couple weeks. And next week is supposed to be like 80 degrees. So it's going to be like really cool compared to today, you know. But anyways, I want to thank you guys for sticking it through the summer of grace, not letting the heat keep you at home. And this second service is a great blessing to us because it allows the church to grow and expand. And uh, we're just so happy that you guys are here and that new people are coming and I'm getting to meet you guys all the time. So open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I do have a cold, so maybe say a little prayer for me that I can make it. Uh, I pretty much almost lost my voice at the end of the first service, so I couldn't really talk much during the hangout time because I was like, I don't want to lose it, you know, fully. So I recovered in there. I got something to eat, and I'm ready to go. Are you guys ready? 
Okay, let's do it. Today's message is the power of grace. Oh, and I want to say I have two special guests with me who I used to work with in New Orleans and pastor, and now they live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Will you give it up for Mina and her daughter, Feltanisha? Give them a little hand clap. Amen. We love you guys. They're staying with us. They came for the retreat, and that was really fun. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. If you're there, say I'm there. Wonderful. Hey, let me also say this, that I will be cutting these second services a little bit shorter now. I'm actually going to start whittling them down a little bit more. I think it will be better for the team and maybe offer a different opportunity for those coming here. So if you guys ever feel like, oh, man, like I'm missing out on a longer sermon, just always go back and listen to the first service, okay? So it will be a little bit shorter, and I think that's the best thing for us. So I hope that you guys can let me do that as well, not only just for my voice today, but in general. Okay, so I just want to keep it a little bit shorter on the back end here. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by what? Thank you, grace. You have been saved through faith. Everybody say faith. Thank you. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Everybody say handiwork. Look at your neighbor and say you are the masterpiece of God. Come on, look at someone. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we've been going through this every week, the whole summer of grace. If you want to listen to past messages, go online. But every week we've been reading this scripture. This is like the introduction, right? And sometimes my introductions get really long. But today I've got a good introduction because I want to explain this in a way that I hope that you can understand. God saves us from the sin of our culture and the sin of false religion. Now, let me tell you about that. In culture right now, there is a lot of sin going on, and you see it in the news. And some of the things that you're seeing right now is racism, abortion, and homosexuality. And I want to talk about each one in this introduction about how God saves us, starting with racism. You see, race is not a biblical word. Not in the way it's used here in our culture. See, in the world, the world would say me and Isaiah are of a different race because we were born in a different country or our families were born in different countries and spoke different languages. My family comes from Italy and Poland. His family, where does your family come from? Peru and Colombia. So he's a good mix of two and I'm a mix of two, right? Now, they would say we are of a different race, but that's not the biblical way of looking at it. The Bible says there's only one race, the human race, and that languages and countries don't make us different in a race way. But today in our culture, there's a big problem with race. One of the major ones, or there's two that I'm going to talk about, one of the major ones is between white and black. White and black. And you see this happening with the police officers and the inner city. Now, Mina will tell you, I've worked in nine different projects when I lived in New Orleans. So I understand as much as probably possible that a white person could understand about the projects, the jacks, baby. Are you listening? I understand as much as I could from an outsider's point of view. Never was raised there. And that is not something that I have had to live through. But as an outsider, I have spent weeks, months, years in the projects working with the community and understanding the people. And I have some of my best friends 
who are police officers. Hello? And I'm here to tell, to tell you that there's racism on both sides. Both sides. When I would go into the Calio projects, when I would go into the Christopher Home projects where um, uh, Mina was from, when I would go to the Fisher projects where her family was from, I was not greeted with outstanding young men coming to say, welcome to our neighborhood, Pastor. We're here to make sure everything goes well. I was greeted by drug dealers, pimps. I was greeted by violence, threats, and I saw it with my own eyes, the crime that would happen in those kind of neighborhoods. I don't mean those kind of people. I'm just saying that kind of a situation had a lot of problems. And the problems may have started with slavery and oppression, yes, but the people I met, the people I met, Calio, whatever name they would have, Masterpiece Neighbor, whatever, the people I met were making a choice to live the way they were living. And I saw the disrespect. And I saw the way they treated police officers. And I saw the way they treated me. And I saw the way they treated people that I brought into that neighborhood. And then you would find one like Felton, uh, like Mina who would be nice and say, hey, we'll hang out. But she remembers being in services because she was there the first day I started the church in New Orleans. She remembers services when I would have to have police officers in my youth group and they would be arrested in church because they kept fighting. Do you remember the time that they fought out in the church? Do you remember the time Sam got thrown into the wall, your brother? Because they couldn't behave in church without fighting. I had over 100 children, teenagers from the inner city. I know about that. But at the same time, I've sat down with police officers, usually not the ones that are my close friends, but I've sat down with some of their friends, and I've heard them be racist, and I've heard them talk about, like in Chicago, working on the south side, working with those kinds of people. And I've begun to realize that, you see, grace confronts racism, confronts it on both sides. Grace says to the person living a criminal life, stop it. Stop selling drugs. Stop living like this. Stop being on the corner. Stop doing those things. And then grace says to the police officer, stop profiling. Stop being abusive. Stop using your authority the wrong way. Now, if you don't believe me, why don't you come with me to the west side this week and use your tactics with the drug dealers? I don't know how many you've talked to, but I have talked to many drug dealers, and I've been threatened by them. And they look me right in the eye, and they tell me, Pastor, I'm going to let you do this, but after you leave, I'm coming back here. You see, somebody has to arrest them. Somebody has to arrest the drug dealer on that corner. And if you think giving them a job, giving them more education is going to help them, then you don't understand the problem. Because I have been down there and will continue to be down there to offer them jobs, to offer them education. It's a choice. Now, at the same time, when I talk to the police officer, I say, well, you know what? Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Be kind, even if they're not kind to you. Only use the amount of force that is right. You see, it takes them to have grace to have to not profile, to have to not stereotype. I knew I would step on some toes. It happened in the first service. The second one's going to step on more toes. That's immigration. 
You see, racism not only comes between black and white, but between Americans and people of Latino origin. It's not even just a white issue because I have Latinos, Asians, African Americans that all stand on one side of immigration. And they basically say, if you're not coming the right way, you're ruining it for the family members I'm trying to get to come the right way. And you can talk to them as you meet them, but I'm not here to out people's political beliefs. And so we have two sides of an immigration issue. One saying, I haven't crossed the border, especially my Mexican friends that feel this way. I didn't cross the border. The border crossed me. The border crossed me. It was the colonial spirit of America that took over our land that oppresses us. It's the rich corporate business person that hires my relatives for $3 an hour to pick their fields. And if they don't get picked, America doesn't have any vegetables. And then at the same time, I hear the other people saying, they're taking my job. I hear people from Europe that can't cross a border and they're saying, we can't come. We don't have a way to come because the immigration is being gridlocked with the Latino epidemic. They're saying, we're educated, we have what it takes, and we're doing our paperwork, and we cannot come from Poland, Germany, France, because Latin America is overrunning the immigration talk. See, there's two sides. But you know what grace does? Grace says you're both wrong. Grace says neither one is thinking about it from the other person's point of view. You see, grace saves you from thinking your race is better. You know, one of the main reasons why this church is multi-ethnic is because I tell it as it is about my people and other people's people. That's why if you go to a predominantly Latino pastor's church, his congregation is predominantly what? Latino. If you go to an African-American pastor's church, they are predominantly what? African-American. And the same thing with white. But why is it in this church, most of you who have been a part of other churches know what I'm saying. This is by far the first multi-ethnic church you've ever been a part of, even in a small setting like this. Multiple different races of so-called backgrounds. Asian, Latino, African-American, Anglo, European. Why is that? Because there's a grace that's here. And our nation needs to do that same kind of thing. You see, the immigrant who's coming here legally needs to have a way to do it legally and be treated fairly. But the one who comes illegally should not be able to do that. Now, you may say to yourself, Pastor, you're already showing me you disagree or you agree or, you know, political. I'm not being political. Let me just ask you a question. If I say, this is the border of my house, please don't come in, should anybody be able to lawfully come into the border of my house? All the Latino elders that I have in my church agree with that. Now, maybe immigration laws need to change, but all of my leaders agree with that. Why? Because they understand what happens when you have open borders and no one respects what you're doing. Now, does that mean what Donald Trump said is right? No, it doesn't mean what Donald Trump said is right at all. He's an idiot. Why is he an idiot? Because he classified everybody by a few bad apples. But let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if I went and committed a crime in somebody else's country? They would put me out of that country. 
Why should America be any different? If you're not from this country, you have come here illegally, and you commit a crime, what should happen? You get arrested, go back to your country. You weren't to be here anyways. But then what's on the flip side? The person who says, I didn't choose to come in this country. My family did. Now I've been born here. What am I supposed to do if my father's an illegal, gets arrested? Do I have to go back with him? You see, grace has to come in. Or what about the person who says, I was enjoying my time in Puerto Vallarta or wherever else they were living, and they were told, I can come here and be a migrant farmer. And as I've come to America, they're ripping me off, and now they're using me so I don't have the monies to do it legally. And also they're abusing me, not treating me like they would an American. See, what do you do? You need grace. See, grace saves us from racism. Grace saves us from the black and white, from the illegal to the, to the non or to the, to the resident. And you know what else grace saves us from? Grace saves us from thinking that all of our thoughts are right. See, grace means that I'm not always right. See, I could be brought up white, and I can hang out with a lot of white people, and I can go places with a lot of white people, and I can get so used to hearing what white people are thinking that when I come to church, I can think Jesus is thinking like me and all my white friends. The African-American can do that. The illegal immigrant can do it. You can get so used to hearing the same thing, the same thing, that you think you're right. But what does grace say? What is God saying? Do I have to change? Do I have to change? Now ask yourself these questions. Did the police have to change? Yeah. Do people in the inner city need to change? Do you know that we have a higher rate here than the death rate of our wars? You know that's why they call this Chirac. Do you think the inner city needs to change? Do you think politicians and the way they handle immigration need to change? Do you think people who come here illegally need to change? How do we change? By grace. I'm going to step on some more toes. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm going to step on some more. See, that's just how it affects us culturally and racism. But what about with homosexuality right now? You see, what people have done is they've put being nice above being biblical. And so what people think is God is nice, and then he tells us to do a bunch of stuff. So if what you're telling me, pastor, is not nice, then it couldn't be God because God would always be nice. But what they don't understand is that God's first priority to us is not nice. It's to be true. It's to be true. My first priority to my children isn't to be nice. It's to give them truth. Now, can I be true and nice? Yeah, it doesn't mean I am not one or the other, but what comes first? Truth. Truth comes first. So right now, same-sex marriage is legal in our country, and Christians like myself who say it's a sin, we're now told we're not being nice. Why aren't we being nice? Because we're not letting them let, listen to how they frame the words, we're not letting them marry. We're trying to stop them from being happy. But what does grace do? Grace saves us from sins. So when you go to a, um, a, a voting booth and you get to vote, how do you decide your vote? Do you decide it by flipping a coin? 
Do you decide it by your morals? Do you decide it by what your family taught you? How do you decide? See, when I vote, I have to vote by biblical standards. You may say, Pastor, we have to separate religion from politics. Let me tell you, if you ever believe that, you have already sided with secularism. Secularism wants you to believe that your religion can never influence society. Do you know that that is not how America was started? When we were started with separation of church and state, whether it was right or wrong, that's not the point, but when we were started with church, separation of church and state, the idea was that England was church-run. The queen was the head of the church. England still to this day has a queen, and their national religion is the Church of England. Do you guys understand? When the American settlers came, they said, we're going to separate the power of the church from the power of government. That's what it meant. So that I could be non-denominational, someone else could be Baptist, whatever, and there wouldn't be a Church of America that had a monarchical system. Are you with me? But it never meant that the religious beliefs of our founders wouldn't be in government. They prayed and opened up every time before they met and made the rules or the Declaration of Independence. They prayed. Did you know that? Still to this day, there is a chaplain that prays before every Congress. Your dollar has on it, in God we trust. The first ones to print the Bible, once we got here, the American Bible that was printed was done by the Library of Congress, the government. Did you know that? When presidents swear on, what they used to swear on? The Bible. When, when you would go to testify, what would you swear on? The Bible. So obviously it can't mean what people say it means. But let's just now take this just as what it is. It's a law now that people of the same sex can get married. But is grace for me to say to them that's no longer a sin because now it's legal? Because now people think what is legal is right. Isn't that normally how you would teach your kids right and wrong? Don't break the law and you'll be good. Let's just start with that. But what happens when laws are sins? What have been other laws that have been sins? It's legal to have abortion. That's been a sin. It's legal to go to a strip joint. That's a sin. It's legal in Nevada to have prostitution. Did you know that? That's a sin. So what do we do as Christians? In grace, we tell them the truth. How about another thing? Because I have a few more moments before I have to get to the message. Some things I want you really to think hard about. What about this idea that what we believe as Christians has to be right because I'm a Christian and God told me? So I meet Christians all the time that say, I, I, I lost my aunt, and I saw her yesterday, and she came into my room, and she told me everything's all right. Is that okay? Just because she's a Christian? Or what about a Christian that says, oh, you know what? I checked the horoscope because, you know, God made the stars, and these are all things that God does. Do you know that I had a Christian that was coming to our church? She was going to a yogi downtown, and the yogi is somebody who leads yoga. He's a guru master. He actually believed he was Jesus. And she still went, and she felt nothing wrong with that. You see, because in her mind, God's grace was okay with that. So putting it back to culture, God's okay with racism. 
God's okay with thievery. God's okay with corruption. No, 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 no. Grace saves us from racism. God's grace saves us from corruption. God's grace saves us from making sins legal. God's grace saves us from false beliefs. So if you believe in the horoscope, if you um, are superstitious, if you think your dead relative is going to come visit you, this is not the Bible. It's grace for you to be saved from that. Now put these all together and everybody say, just the introduction. Do you want to be saved from that? I don't just say this to anybody that, that could already have a side. I don't know if you already have a side. I'm just asking, do you want to be saved? Do you want to be saved from that? I do. I want to be saved from racism. I don't want to be racist. I want to be compassionate. I don't want to have false beliefs. I want to be loving towards those who disagree with me. So Jesus, save me. Save me from myself. I want to be saved from my culture. I don't want to just be an American. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to have kingdom culture. Some of us love the band Jesus Culture. Think of what that's saying in that band's name, Jesus Culture. Jesus' culture is above my culture. I don't want my culture above Jesus' culture. I want Jesus' culture to rule my culture. So just ask yourself this question before we move on. Do I view races the way God does? Do I look at immigration the way God does? Do I look at things in my culture like homosexuality the way God does? Abortion, don't have time to get into that. Do I look at false beliefs the way God does? You see, because look at what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. If the way I view politics before I'm saved and after I'm saved is exactly the same, then I'm doing it myself. Don't you think something would change? Could I have really been that right about stuff that when I was lost, I had it all together, and now when I'm saved, God goes, you're still a Republican, awesome, because I've been that all along. You're Democrat, that's right, I've been that all along. Or do you think there's some things on the inside of us we have to be saved from ourselves? God says, no, Joe, I don't think you have that right. You were taught this. Everybody around you agreed with it, but that's not how I think. See, I want to challenge us to be different. I want to challenge us in this church to be saved from ourselves so that when people come here from every different nationality, so if a white person comes, we don't have to say to the white person, oh, really, you're just Latino on the inside because we got so many Latinos. No, I want that white person and their heritage to be celebrated. But do I want them to make other people feel bad? No. I, w I don't want them waving their Polish flag saying we're better than you, like we're going to have some Olympic games now. Poland, Poland, Mexico, like we're doing some World Cup here. No, no, no. When a police officer comes here, do I want a police officer to feel like, man, Metro Praise is out to get me. Man, nobody loves me at Metro Praise because all they're about is talking about how bad we are because that's all they see. No, I want a police officer to be able to say, I'm learning here. 
Do I want somebody from the inner city to come here and say, yeah, I have so much grace, I can keep being how I am, or anybody, how they act like that. Can I, I can keep being in gangs. You know, when I lived in Humboldt Park, do you know that gangs threw a brick at a car that I was in, dead in my friend's car? Do you know that when I was there also in Humble Park, they sold drugs in front of my house because I was on the ground floor of an apartment. You know what I'm talking about, apartments that are right next to sidewalks. You, you walk in on the sidewalk and you can knock on somebody's window. They sold drugs right in front of there. Did they care that I had a child? No, but did they know I went out and bought a shotgun? But I did. But you know what? It's not about me. It's about what is God saying. And those are the questions I've had to answer. And you can judge me and say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I agree with some of the stuff you were saying. But the bottom line is, I don't know if I agree with you. So how do we work it out now? See, grace says I can agree to disagree with you if we both said we came to God and sought an answer. So if you want to come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know if I agree with everything you said, come with a Bible scripture. Come with a verse. And if after you've done that and I say, here's my Bible scripture, here's my verse, and we both pray about it, and we still stand on opposite sides. You know what then I think we could say? We could say, God has given us different perspectives of who he is. Because God won't contradict himself. So if I had somebody in this church that said, send every illegal immigrant back home. Hey. And then I have someone that says, viva la revolution. Che, let's do it. Take over America. We got both those kind in the church. Maybe not in this service, but the first service, right? Okay. Pretend it's not you. That'll make you feel better. But watch. Let's say we have that. What do I say to those two people? Pray. Tell me what God is saying. Tell me what God is saying. Because I guarantee you those two extremes, they're not going to hear from God. They're not going to hear that from God. You're going to hear God saying something, something. Maybe not exactly, but something like what I'm saying here. Why? Because I've been having that conversation with God for 20 years. When I went into the inner city with Mina and them, the first thing I had to realize is it wasn't about my culture anymore. When I worked in the inner city, my whole congregation was mostly African American. I had to realize I'm not going to eat what I want. I don't pick the restaurant I want. I don't pick the music I want. And so you know what? I began to change. And then I began to realize, wow, gospel ain't so bad. Oh, wow, this is pretty much fun. This is good food. And now today when you come to my house, you'll see hot sauce, you'll see Tony's, and you'll see a little bit of jalapenos. You'll see a little bit of jardinera because of the Italian side. And what do you see? You see me changing my diet because I have been around people that God's grace has changed me. Now, if that has happened on the outside, what do you think has happened on the inside? What do you think has changed on the inside of me? So I want to ask us to let grace take you on a journey and to let grace save you. And let me just give one more example before we go. Think about this. If someone says, all homosexuals, they're going to go to hell. God doesn't love them and judges them so harshly. And then another person on this side says, oh, you know what? God loves homosexuals. They can marry. They can do whatever. God made us all different. You see, you can't tell me you're going to the scripture and getting that. God says he loves everybody. So the moment you start talking with hate and anger, I know you're not talking like Jesus anymore. But then at the same time, the moment you start washing over sin, I know you're not talking like Jesus because Jesus never liked sin. Remember we heard a story about the woman caught in adultery? 
You remember that story? She's caught in adultery. They're about ready to stone her. What happens? Jesus says, you without, the first, you without sin throw the first stone. And nobody throws a stone, right? But then what does he say to her on the way up as he picks her up? He says, go and what? Sin no more. So what is God saying to the gay community? Come. Come just like everybody else. Come to me. Come just like everybody else. That's why in this church, if you've done a one-on-one and you've had same-sex attraction, we've had many in this church that do, it, it, it doesn't throw us off. Like we're not, oh, wow, you're one of those. No, it's like, okay, cool. That's, that's not, not cool, but, yeah, it's like it's okay. It's, it's cool. Like, we love you. Let's go, let's, let's go through it. What, you know, Someone comes to us and says, I used to steal. Okay, good. Thanks for sharing that with oh, I used to look at pornography. Great. Thanks for being honest. Right? But then what do we say? Let's all become like Jesus. What does Jesus look like? What did Jesus say creation looked like? When he created us in his image, well, how did he make us? Male and female, mother and father. And so that's why I say to everybody in the gay community, take a journey with us. See where God takes you. See where God leads you on this journey. Because I guarantee you, you won't look like the most masculine or feminine person you've ever met. But I don't think you'll look like what you've been either. You'll look like Jesus on the inside of you, that he's working in you. And one of the people that I love from the gay community that, that's married now, that's, that's in an opposite sex you know, marriage and talks about his experience, his name is Cy Rogers. When you hear him, you would almost think like, this dude must be gay because he sounds quote unquote gay. But he even explains it. He says, this is how... I relate. This is how I talk. He said, but I didn't let that define who I was. He said, I thought that's how God made me. But I realized this is just part of the fall, the, the part of us that we don't get to control. It's things that we have to live with. You know, I may never be as patient as some of you because of how I came into this world and my testosterone, I don't know what makes me get so easily agitated other than I just point to my flesh and go, I'm hot, I'm sweating right now, I sweat all the time, and that reflects of my personality. But here's the thing, I'm not gonna let that define me. What if I just came and screamed at my wife every day and I just said, honey, that's just me. You just gotta love me the way I am. Wouldn't that just be the same way if someone with same-sex attraction saying, I just need to be who I am? Wouldn't that just be the same? When have I ever known a time where I wasn't short-tempered? When have I ever known a time that I wasn't easily angered? Never. My mom will tell you that before I even knew how to talk, I was throwing temper tantrums, worse than her three other children. I'm a family of four. I was getting paddled in kindergarten. I punched a girl in the nose in kindergarten and gave her a bloody nose. Kindergarten. How much do you think I knew of right and wrong in kindergarten? By the time I was in fifth grade, I was already getting in fights and kicked out of school. And by the time I was 16 years old, I was being arrested. So what do you say to me? Joe, just be yourself. You were born that way. Just be yourself. How many would like to see me just be myself? Would you like to see Joe be like Joe who was born in the flesh January 19th, 1977? Would you want to see that side of me? I think that side of me would look like people who are in prison right now. And some of my friends are, right? 
So what do I have to do when I come to Christ? I am saved. I have to allow Jesus to save me from my temper. Save me from it. Save me. Save me, Jesus. I don't want to let this thing rule my marriage. I don't want my children, and by God's grace, my wife is my witness, my children have never seen me yell. Six years. Those of you who have dealt with your temper and you have children, can your children say the same? Don't judge me differently than the way you judge yourself. Ask yourself that. Six years, my children have not heard me yell. My wife did within our first year of marriage, and I'm still embarrassed of that. Red-faced, screaming at the top of my lungs. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in a family like that. But you see, Jesus saved me from that. And every day, it's my choice. Do I want to be saved? Do I want to be saved? And that goes back to what we were just talking about. We're going to get to the message now. This is what the power of grace looks like. It looks like the racists getting saved from their racism. Stop looking at people different than them and putting them down. It takes that young man who's on the west side right now or the south side, and it takes him out of his crime and says, no more. No more excuses. Be free. One of the young men I know from my youth group back in the day has 11 kids with four different moms. How many different moms, Mina? Four different moms, 11 kids. Grace saves a man from that. And now grace will empower him to take care of 11 kids. Grace will change the corrupt capitalist farmer who's abusing immigrants. Grace will convict him and say, don't treat people like that. And grace will stop someone from crossing the border illegally and will say, God will make a way for me here so I can do it legally with my head held high, not ashamed, not embarrassed. Hello, somebody. See, grace says, I save you from yourself. Do you know that my message of immigration was broadcasted to the point to where someone from the Chicago Immigration Roundtable, one of the most affirming immigration networks of Chicago with Willow Creek, and they placed it on their website, do you know why they placed that message there? They found it online. was because I talk like I'm talking now. That's how we make change. That's how you change. We have to look at the parts of ourselves that need to be saved and be honest and say, God, save me. Save me, Jesus. And let me end with this one last story because I was just there not too long ago. Coach Gordon. Coach Gordon works in the Lawndale community. And he has a $35 million ministry that has hospitals. If you've ever been to the Lawndale Clinic, you know what I'm talking about. Has after-school programs. And I was so amazed at this. I was so amazed. I said, Coach Gordon, you started this program in the Lawndale community, almost all African-American. I said, this is something similar on a much smaller level, what I used to do in New Orleans. I said, what would you recommend me doing where I'm at right now? I said, should we start giving out food? Should we start doing all these things? And you know what he said? This is Coach Gordon from the Lawndale Community Center to over $35 million in that community center. Go look at it. It's beautiful. I've never seen a church have that nice of a community center. You know what he said? 
he said, stop offering handouts and start offering hand ups. And it was like a smack right across my face. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, stop giving out this, giving out this. He said, we learned in this community center that when we would just come out and give out everything, the people would just take it, throw it out, give it away, do whatever they would do with it, come back for more. He said, but when we started saying, come work, come work, and then we'll give you a paycheck. Come work, and we'll do this for you. We began to see people's lives change. Why do you think he needed to tell me that as a white person? Because what do you think a white person's going to think I'm going to do to go help the inner city? Just give stuff away. I'm going to be the one who helps you because I'm going to give things to you. And he said, don't do that. He said, come here and serve them and give them opportunities to serve with you. And then I began to think about some of the young men I have in this church that have come from places like that, like Adam. Adam, what part of the city do you come from, baby? The west side. Do you know about the Lawndale Community Center? It's pretty legit, isn't it? I look at Adam. Look at how he's dressed today. Look at how he came to church and was an usher today. Do you know why he's doing that? He's not doing that for a handout. He's doing it because God has given him a hand up, and he's already beaten the statistics. He's already changed the statistics. Statistics have said that he had a higher opportunity of going to jail than to college, and he's in his third year of college. And all we had to do was be there to serve. All we had to do was say, we'll help. How can we help? And with Adam and his aunt, and I'm not going to tell too much of your story, but he's testified. Can I tell just a little bit? Because you've testified. I don't want to say without your permission. But we're going to pray for Adam's mom because Adam's mom's on drugs and his aunt has to raise him. Now imagine mothers here today. Imagine the drug addiction that would have to be in that person's life so that she couldn't take care of her children. Do you feel compassion for a mother like that? I do. But I look at Adam, and if you talk to him, you would never think that's where he came from. Why? Because God gave him a new identity. See, grace saved him. Grace saved him from an identity of sin and drugs. What about your identity? Where are you getting it from? You see, if we're not raised in a Christian godly home, chances are there's different identities that we've picked up that aren't good. Even in good families, like let's say my parents' family, they were Catholic, but they weren't Christian. My dad's family, they picked up some bad, some bad attitudes, some bad ways of doing things. But it was when my mom and dad got saved that started following Christ. They were the first Christians of their family that I was able to be raised as such. Now, you know what I did? I turned and went to drugs. It wasn't my parents' fault. So I had an inheritance that my parents gave me because of Christian Christianity, and I had went away, and God wanted to bring me back. Some of you have an inheritance with God that he wants you to leave your family's way of doing things to receive. And I asked that question in the first service, and I won't do it here, but the question if I was to ask here would be, how many of you had Christian parents? And if you didn't have Christian parents, the next thing you would have to, I would ask is, how many of you now have things that you learned at home that the Bible says was not good? And are you willing to turn from it? How many men, if you grew up with a father that wasn't saved, thought it was okay to look at women? 
That's one of the most disgusting things that I see men do, and I'll tell on men. See, I'm with men. I was with this one man. We were doing a construction by uh, um, Oprah Winfrey's place downtown, and there was a modeling agency there, and this was really like your typical construction worker. Like, I just couldn't believe this. They started catcalling these women, (coughs) whistling at them and all this stuff, and I'm like, you guys are idiots. Like, what woman is going to ever respond to you that way? Well, I say it to him in, 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 in a nicer way. I'm like, dude, that's dumb. Why are you guys doing that? You know, something like that. And then you know what they say? They say, we're men. Come on. We got to look at women. Why, why don't you look at women? I think they called me some expli- you know, explicitive or what's the bad word? No, no, no. The other word. You'll look it up. Look it up for a bad word. Explicitive. Look it up, please. Thank you, Nancy. Um, they call me some bad word. They call me gay or something, something silly. But then you know what? I say I'm married. I'm going to honor my wife. And you know what they say back to me? Watch this. What do you think they say back to me? So are we. They looked me right in the eye and said, so are we. What's the problem? (laughs) Marriage, like that's going to stop us from looking at girls. See, grace saves a man from that. I remember one time being with a Christian man in this church. We were driving. We were going to the, uh, the North Avenue Beach to play volleyball. And the girls were walking by. We were driving, you know, down the lakeshore. He started tapping me. He said, he said, come on, Pastor, don't act like you don't look. What's the word? Yes, explicit. He said something explicit to me. He said, Pastor, come on, don't act like you don't look. Don't act like you don't look at girls. I said, I don't. He said the same kind of thing, you know, what these guys said. And I said, bro, you're married. And then this is what he said to me, because I hadn't been married yet. He said, when you get married, you'll see, you'll change. That's what he's, a Christian man. You see, so even in the Christian family, you can learn things if it's not biblical. So what do we hold to? What our mom and dad taught us or what Jesus taught us? We get saved from those things. We get saved from what? Culture and false beliefs. That's a good introduction, amen? I'm still smiling. We'll see if I see you guys back next week, amen? God's grace is his divine influence empowering us to live his amazing life. Turn with me to John 10.10. I know you guys can take it. It is hot, though, and I'm going to be ending here at 45 after. I really appreciate you letting me share those things with you. That's why, not obscene, no, it's, I had the right word. It's, it's explicit, and then it's an explicitive. I'm going to share that with you later. Look up John 10.10, please. My wife and I have been talking more after services about stuff I've been messing up, so now she'll text me more in the middle of a message. Okay, look at John 10.10. If you're there, say I'm there. Look at this. The thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and what? Destroy. I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the full. So what is grace wanting to give us? A full life, free from all of our sins, free from false beliefs, free from the things of our culture that has held us down. That's the grace of God in motion. Here are seven things that grace empowers us to do. We talked last week about the first three, so I'll just review them briefly. Grace gives us power for eternal life, where your life is changed. So think of it this way. Did you change yourself or did God change you? What changed you when God changed you? The grace of God. 
It was the attribute of his grace. It was by grace that you were saved. Now, you were saved as a sinner from all your sins. Now, think of those sins you've been saved from. At any point in your life, should you ever be overcome by those sins? Think of it this way. If, January, uh, if November 5th, 1995, I was born again and I was saved from adultery of my heart, lusting after someone I wasn't married to. Today, if I am tempted with the adultery of my heart, can God save me from it just like he did in 1995? Yes, he can. Does he want to? Yes, because that scripture, Romans 5, 17, says that eternal life has us reign in righteousness with Christ. The life of a Christian is reigning in righteousness. So that means I am saved from sin, forever given eternal life, and as often as I'm tempted to sin, God is saying, I'll save you from that. I'll save you from that low self-esteem. Because self-hatred is still hatred. Did you ever think about that? There's a lot of people that hate themselves these days. It's an epidemic, isn't it? You know why there's a lot of people that hate themselves? The Internet has caused jealousy. They call it tech jealousy. And that means now, before, if you didn't have your friends from high school in your life anymore, you wouldn't see them. Now you see them on Facebook. They have a nicer house than you or a nicer car than you. There's a lot of people in this world dealing with self-esteem issues. A lot of it has to do with technology. Another bit of it is there's a lot of wealth in this world and there's a lot of poverty. And the great gap has divided more than ever before. Back in the day, you could work at a factory and own a house. During the time of, uh, of coming out of World War II, the, the baby boomer generation in the 60s, you could work at a factory and own a house. Most people today can't even dream about owning a house. And now, like ever before, there are bigger houses being built. See, jealousy arises. People hate themselves. But you know what? Self-hatred is still hatred. See, God wants you to reign over your self-hatred. God wants you to reign over perversion. No matter how much the society calls it good, God still calls it sin. Whatever you can think of that God calls bad, God wants you to reign over. Amen? The second thing is the power to strengthen your heart from condemnation. And what this simply means is whenever you feel as a Christian, you're not good enough to be a Christian. You know you've dealt with condemnation then. So think of it this way. When you weren't living for God, what were the kind of temptations you probably heard from the devil? God don't care. That don't matter. That's just the way you are, right? Wouldn't you hear those excuses? Or maybe some of you would hear, there's no God. Don't worry about what he says, right? Now think of this way. After many of us become Christians, what do we hear now? Oh, you've messed up. God's upset. God's so angry with you. You're not a good Christian. So think about how the devil tells two lies. When you're not a Christian, he says, there's no God. Don't worry about it. But the moment you decide to become a Christian, what does he say? God's angry at you. Hold on, devil. I thought you told me there was no God. See, if you were your own adversary, how would you come at you? See, the devil watches us. He doesn't know everything, but he watches us. He watches what makes you discouraged. So he comes alongside of you in your discouragement and says, you'll never live for Christ. You'll never make it. But the Bible says grace empowers us. That reminds us, if I was saved at my worst, then Christ still loves me now. How could I ever disappoint him? He loved me when I was yet a sinner. Think about that. I was never saved by my good works. That means today if as a Christian I stop doing good works, 
that doesn't mean he loves me any less. The next thing that God's grace gives us the power to do is operate in his gifts. When you were given gifts and talents, God said, here's my gift to you. Here's my talent. Now, if you use that for your own selfish gain, that would be like you stealing your neighbor's wallet to take your friend out for dinner. Your friend may really love you for it, but you stole it to do it. You see, the rich man's family may really love them, like the, the kid growing up today that didn't go to church but's on a boat by the lakefront. You know what I'm talking about. That guy's family may be awesome today, or that lady's family may be awesome. But why aren't they going to church? Why aren't they giving their tithe, their, back, their 10% back to God? Because they think it's all theirs. I made this money. I'm a doctor. Church didn't do anything for me. But they're not realizing they stole their gifts and talents from God and using it for themselves. Here are the four that we didn't get to, and I'll go over them quickly because I believe that the introduction really hits all of these points. God gives us grace and his power so that we can work hard. Whenever we go to our jobs tomorrow, God wants us to work hard. God wants us to be the kind of worker that other people look up to and say, I want to be like them. And not only just on our jobs, but in our families. Do people look at your marriages and say, I want to be like that marriage? Do people look at your children and say, I want my children to be like you? You know, I can't say that my wife and I have always done it perfect, but I can say that we are blessed to hear those encouragements where we go. That people say, I want my children to do this. I want our marriage to be like that. Why is that for me? Because my wife and I said, we'll do it unto God. That can be the same for you. You know somebody in this church that I'm sure has inspired you. And if you're doing the right thing, you're being an inspiration to others. Jerry, would you come, please, as we get ready to close out? Power to reach people. How many of you, at some point in your life, somebody helped you become the person you are today? Somebody reached out to you. They they did something for you. You're now to do that for somebody else. You're to reach out to them. Going back to that immigration issue, if you look at the Statue of Liberty, this is what Donald Trump, where he's an idiot. If you look at the Statue of Liberty, it doesn't say give us your most educated. It doesn't say give us all those you're proud of. It says give us your poor. Give us your hurting. That's what America was built on. When my grandparents came here from Italy and Poland, they came as poor farmers, peasants, really, they didn't have anything. And it was so funny because I was watching a movie, how racism even changes. We're watching a movie called Unbroken about a man that was captured in World War II. And they tried to break him because he was an Olympic runner. But he never lost his faith. And he's Italian. And they made fun of him, calling him a WAP, the white kids in the neighborhood. And I said, oh, my goodness, if I was born in that time, I would have been oppressed. I remember my mom even telling me as she lived in Chicago Heights, there was literally a train track that separated her neighborhood from the black neighborhood. And there was one thing that was known for sure. All the white kids hated both of them, the Italians and the African-Americans. Isn't that, I'm not saying it's the same as slavery. I'm just saying, isn't that something how things change? But wouldn't you want someone to reach out to you? So why don't we reach out to others? I was thinking about some of the churches that I visit when I go to the west side. And I say, we're here to serve your community. And I remember one person saying, we don't give to help and to do those things because our people don't appreciate it. They told me this. And I said, no, but we're still going to have programs out here even if they don't appreciate it. Are you listening? Because there's going to be somebody that does appreciate it. Don't stop reaching out just because people don't appreciate what you're doing. Don't stop. 
the power to live a generous life. How many believe in generosity? Whether it's being generous with your compliments or whether it's being generous with your words of kindness or finances, we want you to be generous here in this church, but not just here outside. When was the last time you gave somebody a ride? When was the last time you gave somebody a lunch? taking them out and not ask for anything in return. When was the last time you invited somebody over? You know, in a service like this, there's enough of us that everybody could always say, come to my house, come to my house, let's come to... You get what I'm saying? There could always be that spirit of generosity. And not only that, but how about generous and forgiving? Sometimes you got people on your job, like I'm watching the Office series again, like it's been so long since I originally watched it when it came out, that it's like a new series right now. And one of the greatest things that I see is that you know, they make fun of each other, and it's funny when they can laugh at themselves. But I realize that people who don't laugh at themselves, who always take offenses, they're the most weirdiest people to be around. And that's when you can see, like Dwight Schrute, he never can laugh at himself. He can never take a joke. And sometimes to be generous, you've got to give people generosity and kindness. I forbear with people. There's a lot of times I've hung out with Steve, and Steve's cracked a joke on me, and then he kind of looks at me like, like, is it okay if I just did that? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we've been real sometimes, and then sometimes you kind of just look at me like, like I'm with my pastor, is this okay? And it's like, yeah, because you know what? I've given him a generosity. I say, you be yourself. If you want to hang out with me, but you get offended all the time, you're a stingy person. You're stingy with your love. You're really not sharing kindness with me, right? If you're always getting offended, well, then why do you want to hang out with me? Then if I can never make you happy, be generous with people. Don't be so stingy. Lastly, this passage right here, I so wish I could preach my guts out, but this is where my voice is almost gone now. Thank you for your patience today. We have power to overcome every weakness we face in our hour of need. This passage here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, that Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You have to understand this in closing today, that there is no weakness that you and I will face where God's power is not stronger. So maybe I didn't hit on yours. That would be rare, because I thought I hit on a lot of stuff today. But let's just say by some chance, you haven't dealt with anything that I talked about which by the way last week she came to the second service today she came to the first service she said when you talked about husbands and wives and all that I had to have my husband listen to it he said I listened to it it was so awesome so thank you for those compliments that always encourages me but I hope I hit on something here today white but let's say I didn't or I left some out here's the encouragement you can go back to this scripture and know that whatever weakness you have Biting your nails. Random thing came to my mind. Biting your nails. God's power is made perfect through his grace. You'll make it through biting your nails. Just on that example, anybody ever used to bite their nails? Anybody now free from it? If you're not, ask God to set you free. I am now free from biting my nails. You can see white nails on my nails. I used to bite my nails all the time. What's another weakness? Shout out one, Nancy. What's another weakness? Losing, I talked about losing temper. What's another one? Anybody can think of what I didn't say? You know one. Come on. Can't think of one? Ashley's always good with thinking about stuff. Come on. Jealousy. I didn't really talk. Well, I talked a little bit about jealousy. What? 
I think I talked about that, but it's good to mention on forgiveness. Whatever our weakness is, we go back to that grace and we say, God, help me. And he'll be faithful just like he was in the first time we came. He'll be faithful in the hundred first time we come because he loves us, doesn't he? Amen. Would you all stand up with me, please? Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask that Jerry and Tony would do something special. Come stand in front. I'm going to ask that Jerry and Tony would come. Could you put on some soft music in the background? Something like, um, put on for me, look this up on YouTube for me. Daryl Evans, Your Love is Extravagant. Jerry, as you can come on down. I really want to talk to you guys for a minute. Can I, can I talk to you guys? Just come stand right here. I really feel that God has blessed you guys in an amazing way. And that there is a lot going on. Thank you, Boom. That I feel that God's going to be doing in your lives in the near future. And I just want to tell you that God's grace is made perfect not in your strength, mighty man of God, but in your weakness. And the same thing is with you. You guys are so strong. And you're probably like me that when problems come, what do we do? I'm going to get strong and knock it down, right? But I want you to hear just what God is saying. This kind of grace that comes is not through our strengths. God gives us grace to be strong. That's awesome. And you guys are very strong. But at this time, God says, as he did to Paul, it's going to come through weakness. It's going to come through that humility to say, man, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know if I can do all this. Be a mom. Work a job, right? I don't have to be a prophet to know that, right? It's like so easy to know all of that. But I just want to encourage you guys. Because the level of responsibility that you guys are going to have in this church is going to keep growing. The level of responsibility that you have as a mother is only going to keep growing. What if I told you this right now? Listen to me. And any mother will tell you this. That this is the easiest it is. The one child is the easiest. I know that Nancy said that the second and third and fourth, sometimes it becomes easier in that sense. But she has never, can you turn it down please? She has never been able to sleep the way she did before she had kids. She has been with children in diapers for six years. Every night that requires her to do something. You get what I'm saying? So today God is saying, take a breath and enjoy all the free time. Seriously, that's what God is saying. Take a breath, enjoy it. And the same thing is with you, especially with you. Think about this. When you think of the pressure on you as a man, you think about it like, Man, I got Jerry, I have a child. Ask any man here, and I can even relate to learning from others too, that has teenagers. The pressure just gets greater. It gets greater. And it weighs upon you more. Now they have this, now they have this. And then the next of college, right? So where does God see us? In weakness. And so how does he give us power? In our weakness. But we have to receive it by faith. So I'm going to ask the congregation just to join with me in prayer. Because God's going to do some amazing things in your lives. Father, thank you today for Jerry and Tony. 
Thank you for this baby that's on the way and for all the responsibility that you're giving them in the church, oh God. I pray, Lord, as the pressure mounts up, as the stress gets stronger, that, God, they won't let up. But, God, instead of giving up, God, they'll admit their weakness. And in that weakness, you'll make them strong. And they'll become a testimony of not only being examples of what it's like to serve you when everything's going well, to always have amazing attitudes, which we've always seen, but they'll also have a testimony of what it's like to serve you in weakness, to serve you in trials and tests. Pour out your spirit upon them without measure. May they find in you all that they ever need. In Jesus' name, amen. And now would you guys just stand there and Nancy, just come up next to them. I just want these to be our prayer workers today, just them. We're gonna dismiss in prayer. If you have any prayer needs, would you come to one of them that are up here today and believe God for his grace to make a way for you? Would you do that? Amen. Let's pray in closing. Lord, I thank you today for the grace and the love that you've given us. And I pray that those who need it today will come and receive it in your name. And as we walk out of here, we'll walk out of here empowered by grace, challenged to look at ourselves saying, where am I weak and where do I need your strength? God, because you said the one who thinks they have it all together, the one who thinks they stand, needs to take heed lest they fall. But Lord, those who come humbly, you'll uplift with your mighty hand. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you bless him today one more time? Jesus, it's all about him. Just keep playing that, brother. If you guys need prayer, would you come see one of the three of these workers up here? If not, slap your neighbor high five and tell him I'll see you next week in the power of his grace. Come on, let's get some testimonies about what God's going to do. Would you put it up a little bit, Steve? Thank you so much.